to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And for the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about what every church should be. And that's Paul in uh, 1 Thessalonians starts off by basically helping the church of Thessalonica understand what it should be. And and the, the, the miraculous thing, well, I shouldn't say miraculous. The, the amazing thing is that <clears throat> they were those things. And Paul was just uh, reaffirming these things and helping them understand that they just they just need to continue on doing right. Uh, <clears throat> we saw that they were they were willing to be different. And that is something in our society today that most people are not willing to do. Most people want to blend in and, and, and not make any ruffles. They want to, they just want to kind of go with the flow. And Paul challenges us as a church that we as a church need to be different. The second thing he encouraged them to do was to be, in, be examples. Again, as we talked about before, and I'm not going to uh, re-preach everything, but I just, in case you were not here the last couple of weeks, it just helped to understand this morning's message as well. But in order to be an example, not only do you have to be different, but you have to be willing to be used. You, you, you have to put yourself out there. And the church of Thessalonica was a, was a church that was not only as a corporate body were they willing to be used, but as individuals they were willing to be used. And what they had, uh, the the third thing that we talked about was their infectious Christianity. Uh, It infected an entire region. People from all over, as Paul would travel to these different areas, he, he, he says, basically, he says, I don't have to do a whole lot of preaching because you guys have already been here. Your influence has already reached these places. And what a blessing that is. They're, 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 their Christianity was infectious, and ours should be infectious too. And then the fourth thing that we talked about is that they were expecting. They were expecting the return of our Lord. And, and I'll be honest with you, as, 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 we, as we understand and, 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 and look forward to the coming of our Lord, it should cause us to live a certain way, should it not? Now, I don't know about you, but I have thought on many occasions, I don't know if it's just the way I think or not, I don't know, but I have thought on many occasions when I've been doing something stupid and I do them often, boy, what what would the Lord think if he came right now and caught me in the middle of this? I don't think I'd be too thrilled to see my Lord at that particular moment. It should motivate us to, to live a certain life that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm about to use an illustration here, and I, 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 I want to be careful here because in no way is this illustration critical in, in any way. It's just I'm using it as a, as a, as a contrast, okay? Uh, so I'm not being critical of anybody or any church or anything, but... I have a friend, a very, very dear friend, who started a church in the southeast. I won't tell you the city or the state because it's not important. But he started a church in the southeast. And and when he started this church, there was no 
gospel preaching church in the in the small country town that he started at the, started the church in. But the surrounding cities, there were gospel preaching good churches all around him. And what happened was his church, when he started it, started to grow very quickly. And <clears throat> it grew for a, a, a couple of reasons, but the main reason that it grew is because now all of a sudden people from all of these churches that were all around started coming to his church. Does that make sense? And <clears throat> they came for various reasons. Uh, some said that, you know, hey, your, your church is closer to where I live than my church, so I'm going to start coming to your church, which is, you know, sometimes that's a common reason for people to, to, to change churches. Uh, and my, my pastor friend is a very dynamic preacher. Uh, he's not like me at all. Uh, he's very dynamic, very, and, and I, I shouldn't have said that. My wife's going to yell at me for that, but I'm, I just, I know, I know me, and I'm, I, anyway. <clears throat> so, um, some of the people came because they were not happy at their current churches. They wanted, they just wanted a change. And some of the, some of the growth came uh, from people getting saved and brought into the church. Again, I, I, I'm not being critical of my friend. That, this, is not what I'm, this is not about that. But I want to use it as a contrast to the Thessalonian church. See, when the Thessalonian church started, there were no other churches to draw from. There were no other believers to come to that church. Where my friend's church was 80 to 90% people who were already saved, and 10 to 20% of people, new, new Christians, if you would, the church of Thessalonica was 100% baby Christians. And it makes a huge difference. So Paul here, in, in what we're going to be talking about now uh, in chapter 2, <clears throat> is going to... Chapter 1, he was talking about what every church needs to be. And he's in chapter 2, he's kind of going to continue that thought, but in a little bit different direction. <clears throat> Just as in our church, many of the people in our church have been saved in our church. And I praise God for that. And I praise God for the for the... For, for those of you who have uh, come to our church already knowing the Lord, and I praise God for that. I remember about a year or so into the church, maybe not even a year, <clears throat> a, a, a couple started coming to our church. His, his name was Bruce. And <clears throat> so those of you that have been here from the beginning remember Bruce. Uh, Bruce was in the National Guard. He was, he was in the Air Guard. And it was at the height of the conflict over in the Middle East. And they started, he and his wife started coming to church. And shortly after they started coming, Bruce got notified that his unit, the, the, the Nevada Air Guard, was going to be going to Afghanistan for six months. 
And I, I was talking to Bruce one day, and, and he said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. Can you come over and talk to me? And I said, absolutely. So one day I went over to his house and was sitting in his living room. He, he told me, he said, you know, Pastor, I'm going into a war zone. And back then it was, it was, it was a hot war zone. It wasn't like it, well, it, it's a hot war zone today, but it was worse then. And he said, I'm scared. And he wasn't scared of where he was going. He was scared of dying. And I asked him, I said, Bruce, I said, if something happens while you're in Afghanistan and, <clears throat> and you die, are you sure, 100% sure where you're going to go? He said, absolutely not. And sitting in his living room, I was able to lead him to Christ. And those of you, those of you that, that remember Bruce, <clears throat> remember when that, when, when that boy got saved, he got saved. Uh, <laughs> when, what happened was while he, while he was in Afghanistan, <clears throat> he ended up getting uh, esophageal cancer from the burn pits over there in Afghanistan. And shortly after, what, about a year after, he, he just he died. At his funeral, the testimony of the people, the guys that he worked with, could not believe the change that had taken place in his life. A very vile, angry man overnight changed. And person after person gave testimony of the change that had taken place in his life. See, that's what that's what should happen. I remember when when Bruce was in Afghanistan, I would every day I would I would wake up and <clears throat> well not as soon as I woke up, but every morning um, I would I would send text uh, send him a, a portion of scripture. I would text it to him. And <clears throat> Uh, I just got in the habit of every day just sending him a, a just a, I don't know, I don't even remember now, it's been so many years ago, just a portion of scripture. I'd send it to him, and then I'd, I'd usually send him a little note along with it. But I did that every day. And, and he, like I said, he was gone for six months, and about, about four months into it, something happened, and for whatever reason, that particular morning, I didn't send him a text. And later that afternoon, I got a text from him saying, are you okay? I didn't get my text. Are you sick? You know, and he, he was scared to death that something had happened to me. Come to find out, I didn't know this, but come to find out, after he got back, he explained it to me. He said, he said, we, he said we looked forward to those texts every day. And I said, who's we? <laughs> he said, there was a guy in my unit and every day, we would read your text and talk about him. And see, God was working in, in his heart and life, and I didn't even know it. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. For yourselves, brethren, know 
our entrance into you, uh, that it was not in vain. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shameful, shamefully entreated, <clears throat> uh, as you know, at Philippi, and were bold in our, uh, in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God which, uh, with much contention. For our exhortation was uh, not of deceit, nor uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but pleasing God, which trieth our hearts. Neither at any time <clears throat> used we flattery words, as you know, as, as you know nor a cloak of covetousness, <clears throat> God is witness. Nor men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been uh, burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. See, God uses people to spread the gospel. You know, he could, <clears throat> God could have used any means he wanted to, to spread the gospel, but he chose to use you and me. But he also chose to use men to help baby Christians grow. We call that discipleship uh, in, in 21st century uh, uh, America now. When somebody, when somebody, <clears throat> what is what does the word disciple mean? It means a follower of someone, does it not? So when a when a person gets saved, <clears throat> they need to be discipled so that they could be more like Christ. Does that make sense? And it is it is the local church that God has chosen to do that task, to be that discipler, to be the person who is the one who is helping the other person grow. I remember when I first got saved back in 1980, I knew nothing of Christianity. Nothing. I, I honestly, this is the, the gospel truth, I did not know that there was a difference between a Baptist church and a Mormon church and a Catholic church and a, and a whatever. I just thought they were just different names for the same thing. I, I knew nothing of Christianity. And a very dear friend of mine, who is still a very dear friend of mine, took me under his wing, so to speak. And he taught me what it means to be a Christian. He discipled me. He spent time with me. He encouraged me. He strengthened me. The title of my message is this, Growing in Grace. Growing in Grace. And the first Part of this chapter, Paul is encouraging the church of Thessalonica <clears throat> to continue to grow. 
he gives them three pictures of growth to help them understand what, what they need to be. And, and let, me, let me read this just, just because this is really where I got the title of my message because as I was thinking about it, this verse popped into my head. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow in grace. Point number one this morning, be faithful. Be faithful. In verses 1 through 6, Paul reminds the church of Thessalonica of his faithfulness. He, he, he describes to them the fact that he's been faithful and he uses himself as an example. Not that he's building himself up, but he's saying, look, as I have been faithful, you need to be faithful too. Because Paul, Paul himself, if he were to walk in this door this morning, he, he would describe himself as a sinner above all sinners. That's how Paul would describe himself. But Paul understood that God had given him the responsibility to be, the, to be a steward of the gospel. In Galatians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 11 to 12, it says, But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after men, nor for, ne for I neither receive it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So where did Paul get the gospel from? Paul got it directly from Jesus Christ. Now, what is a steward? We're going to talk about Joseph here in a minute, but because Joseph is the epitome of stewardship in the Bible. But what is a steward? A steward is somebody who does not own what they manage. They don't create what they manage, but they possess it, use it, and use it. See, Paul did not own the gospel. He did not create the gospel, but he possessed it. And he used it. And because he used it right, God blessed it. Now, picture, if you would, as, as we read this passage in Genesis chapter 39 about Joseph, try to plug Paul into the, to this whole concept of being a steward of the gospel. In Genesis chapter 39, verses 4 through 6, it says, And Joseph found grace uh, in his sight. That's talking about uh, uh, the, his master. Uh, and, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he had put into his hands. And it came to pass from the time that he had made uh, him overseer in the house and uh, over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So let's stop right there. So why did, why did God bless the Egyptian and, and the Egyptian's finances? Because of Joseph's stewardship, not because of the Egyptian. It's important you, get, you understand that. And the, Lord, and, and, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all 
uh, that he had in his house and in, his, and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hands, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread that he did eat. In other words, the, the, the Joseph's master had no clue what he owned. He had no clue what his assets were because Joseph was the steward of all of that. Joseph was a godly person and well-favored. See, Joseph did not own any of it. He did not create any of it. But Joseph did possess it, did he not? He possessed it, he used it, and because he used it right, God blessed it. Now, what about you and I? We also are stewards of the gospel. It is our responsibility to share the gospel. We don't own it. We didn't create it. But we should possess it. And we should use it. And if we use the gospel properly, guess what? God will bless it. And Paul, Paul here is trying to communicate to the, uh, to the church of Thessalonica that if you will follow my example in being a good steward of the gospel, it will spread like wildfire. And it does. We, we talked about that last week, how, how the, the, the entire region was affected because these people were good stewards of the gospel. Look at verse 3. For I exhort, uh, excuse me, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor uncleanness, nor in guile. The word deceit here, it says no deceit, it literally means to not to lead astray. So what is Paul saying here? Very first thing he says, not only do you need to be good stewards of the gospel, but while I was with you, the example that I said is I did not deceive you in any way. Everything that I told you was true. Six times in, in the book of, of, uh, of uh, 1 Thessalonians, the, the, the word gospel is mentioned. And in every particular time, Paul is talking about the purity of the gospel. And he's saying, he says, when I, when I presented to you the gospel, it was with pure intention. There, there was no guile. There was no deceiving at all in the presentation of the gospel. And, that, and, and in our lives, that is exactly how the gospel needs to be. The fact that he, he then says, he says that there was no deceit and no uncleanness means that his motivations were pure. There, there, was, no, there, there was no possible ulterior, ulterior motive, if you would. There was nothing. Now, let, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> this morning, well, uh, let, let me... Let me ask, I'll just ask the question. Is it possible to preach the gospel with the wrong motivation? Yes, 
Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And what Paul was trying to to communicate here was Paul was not trying to get notches in his in his belt or or hey look who I won to Christ or you know man that's ooh that's number 1422. That that's not what Paul was saying. There, there, there's no motivation. There's, it, it, everything was done with a pure heart. It was, it, there was no, nothing. And then he says, he says, uh, no deceit, no uncleanness. But then he goes on even further and he says, nor in guile. The word guile here is an interesting word that means no trickery, but but literally it means there was no bait on the hook. Paul didn't come in and 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 try to use trickery to get people saved. Again, going back to having pure motivation, a pure heart. And Paul is trying to communicate to the church. Of Thessalonica, you know what? You can put on programs, you can do all of the things that you think you need to do, but the the gospel is pure. Don't dirty it up with trickery. Look at verse five. For neither at any time use we flattery words, as you know. <clears throat> nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Paul uses here two words to describe modern day religion. I was asked recently <clears throat> what the difference between religion and, and, and Christianity. There's a big difference. Religion is man-centered and man-based. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and I'm here to tell you, I'm a, I'm a Christian before I'm a Baptist, by the way. Just saying. When I was in the hospital... <clears throat> Those of you who know, I've I've been in the hospital a couple times. <clears throat> anyway, when it, <laughs> when I was in the hospital recently, uh, you you know what it's like uh, to be bored, and, and you've you've watched way too much television, and your eyeballs are about to fall out of your head, but you can't get out of bed, and and it, I was just absolutely miserable. So I, I was stand, I was sitting in the bed and I, I was channel surfing. Y'all know what that is? And I came across a religious channel. And I thought, oh, this will be fun. <laughs> so I caught the tail end of the guy's sermon. If you, I don't like I said, it was the tail end. I, I could, I, I didn't, I didn't hear enough to know what he was talking about. But for the next 45 minutes, I, I checked. 45 minutes, all they did was show the, the, the phone gallery 
where the people were answering the phone and taking the money. That's not what church is. And, and, and that's what, exactly, that's what religion is. And Paul uses two words here that, that go right to the heart of what most televangelists are and what religion is. He, the first word he uses is flattery. Flattery. Those are the words that can be used to lure people in. Those are the words that, well, let, let me give you the, the exact definition. It says it can cause people to drop their guard and set them up to be victims. In other words, salesmanship. How many of you like used car salesmen? Oh, wait a second. Is there a used car salesman here? I better be careful. <laughs> you know, nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be manipulated. And that's what this word is. And Paul says right here, he says, uh, <clears throat> neither at any time did we try to manipulate you. Never did we use those words. The second word that he uses is the word covetousness. And I, I want to replace the word covetousness with the word fleecing. Because that's what it's talking about. He says, nor a cloak of covetousness or fleecing. God is our witness is basically what he's saying. He said, we did not go in there using flattery words to try and and to set you up to take advantage of you. We did not go in asking for money or trying to motivate you and get, get you to feel sorry for us or anything like that. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. A bishop or pastor must be. What, is, what do you think in the original language the word must be means? Must be. Okay, a little Greek lesson there for you. Okay. <clears throat> a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not <clears throat> uh, soon angry, not given to wine, nor striker, nor what? Given to filthy lucre. God says, if I'm going to be a good pastor, I cannot center our church, my ministry, around the almighty dollar. Because it will corrupt. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the church need money to operate? Absolutely it does. But those of you that have been in our church for any amount of time know that I don't talk about it very often. For two reasons. One, I believe it's God's responsibility to burden your heart to, to tithe and to do the right thing. It's not my job to motivate you to give money. That's not my job. That's God's job. The second reason I don't talk about it very often is the fact that I hate money. 
Yeah, you can ask my wife. I hate my, we, we, we talk about money and within our family all the time and it's like pulling teeth to get me to sit still long enough for us to go over the bills and to do, I just, I hate money. I hate money because of the contention that it causes. And Paul here is saying, you know what? We did everything that we did was pure, right, and, and with pure motivation. There was no trickery. There was no flattery. There was no fleecing that took place. And that is exactly how a church is supposed to operate. And I, I hope and pray that that is exactly how Grace Baptist Church operates. And I want to throw one other thing in there, transparent. We, we try to be as transparent as possible. Number two, not only should we, <clears throat> in growing in grace, should a church be, and, and individuals, be faithful, but we also should be nurturing. Look at verses 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, even as a, as a nurse cherisheth her child, so being uh, affectionately uh, uh, desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted uh, unto you not, excuse me, the gospel only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. This morning, I don't know if you realize it or not, but we have a 13-day-old with us. And just before church started, Dad was holding it. And I, I, I thought, I, I knew what I was getting ready to preach, but this is exactly, I, I thought of that nurturing. That's what, a, that's, that's, that's what we do with babies. We don't, we don't tie them by their feet and hang them from the ceiling, although you want to do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, when they become teenagers. <clears throat> but I want to, I, I have a thought for you here. See, Paul's talking about nurturing. A nurturing mother gives a part of her own life to that child. It it costs a mother to nurse a child, does it not? And I believe what Paul's trying to communicate here is that, you know what, church? If we are going to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, it's going to cost us something. Somebody needs to invest in baby Christians. Somebody needs to sit down with them and pour their lives into them. It doesn't, a baby doesn't grow just because they're born. Amber was back there just a few minutes ago feeding the baby. And besides, they're foster parents, okay? They're not, okay, just so that you understand. <laughs> Another thought for you. 
A nursing mom needs to feed herself with nutritious and healthy food so that as her body does whatever it does to produce the food for the child, it is healthy and nutritious for the child. Well, I'm here to tell you, church, that is, if we as a church do not feed ourselves with nutritious and healthy spiritual food, we will be unable to feed others. I remember, I don't even, I don't remember who this was. It's, it's been a while ago, but I remember talking to a, a, a young mother who was having trouble with the child. The child had an upset stomach and, you know, you know how babies are. And uh, she said, well, it was probably the pizza I ate yesterday. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's harsh. <laughs> but it should be a reminder to us. You know, spiritually speaking, if we take in pizza, guess what? We're gonna we're we're not gonna be any good. We're gonna <clears throat> Oh and the teens had pizza last night. Well, hey, teens can eat pizza, that's okay. <clears throat> Just don't do it if you're a nursing mom. Another aspect of a nurturing mother is the fact that she's protective. There is nothing <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's nothing, uh, you, you want to get somebody angry, get, get a nursing mom. Uh, yeah, it, it gets ugly fast. But a, nursing, a, a nurturing mom will love her child and protect her child. Remember King Solomon when he had to determine whether the child belonged to mom A or mom B? And, and Solomon, well, let, let, let me read it to you. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 24 to 27, it says, And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the, the living child in two and give one half to one and one half to the other. Then spake uh, the woman whose uh, the, the living child uh, was unto the king uh, from her bowels, yearned uh, uh, upon her son and said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child uh, and in uh, no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it, let it be uh, neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living uh, child uh, and in no way slay it. Uh, she is the mother thereof. So what, what did Solomon do? Solomon was very wise in his, in his scenario there, but what did he do? He got the real mother to say, you know what? Don't kill the child. A nurturing mother is going to protect. And that's what we ought to be. We ought to be looking out for each other, protecting one another. Paul here in verse 8, the end of verse 8, 
He said, but also our own souls, <clears throat> because that, uh, you were dear unto me. Basically, what Paul was saying is, we would give our own lives if need be for you. And that's how, that's how Grace Baptist Church ought to be. Point number three, and we'll be done very quickly. Verses 9 to 12, and I won't read it for, for time's sake, but you can, you can go back and read it later. But Paul talks about <clears throat> the father's labor and travail that takes place in his life, the exhausting uh, hard work that it takes to be a father. And anybody who's been a father knows what it means to be a father. In fact, in verse 9, look at, look at verse 9. It says, uh, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for <clears throat> laboring night and day. You know what? It's not easy to raise children. Those of you that are parents know exactly what I mean. You will spend sleepless nights travailing over your children, wor worrying about them, praying for them, wondering about them. In fact, it doesn't stop when they leave the house either. Just saying. Young Christians are watching us. We need to be good examples. I have a question for you. What would you think if a young Christian came to you and said, you know what? I want my life to be just like yours. Hopefully your answer would be a no, you don't. But seriously, is that the right answer? It shouldn't be. What did Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. See, we should be living our lives in such a way, if a young Christian came up to us and said that, we would say, you know what? Hey, buddy, I I've got flaws, but I'll tell you what, I've learned a lot. Let me, let me help you through this thing called Christianity. The word exhort here in verse 11, look, 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 look at verse 11. It says, and you know how we exhorted and comforted and, and charged every one of you as a father doth a child. The word exhort and comfort, comfort there, the word exhort literally means to, to bring alongside like a, like a father would a, a small child and hold his hand and, 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 and <clears throat> walk through a, a, a grocery store or a mall or a, a park or some, I mean, you're not going to go to the mall with a, with a four-year-old and say, okay, bud, see you later. No, 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 no. What are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to bring that child alongside you and you're going to hold his hand and you're going to comfort him or her. And you're going to be there for them. That's, that's what this is saying. And Paul is saying, that's what we need to be for each other. A couple of weeks ago, I made the statement that a, a church should be a spiritual hospital a place where people can come and, and be encouraged and be comforted. That's what a church ought to be. 
And I, I, I pray, you don't know how much I pray that Grace Baptist Church would be that. Because the reality is this, if you are not going through a difficult time, you will. Or you just did. And if we are the church that we need to be, we will be faithful to one another. We will be nurturing to one another. And we will be concerned. Did I give you point number three? Oh, sorry. Point number three. Sorry, Chris. (laughs) We'll be concerned for one another. That's what a church ought to be. That's what a Christian ought to be. See, the church at Thessalonica cared about each other. They were faithful to each other. And Paul here is reminding them of their responsibility to one another. But at the same time, he's helping us as a church and and. 21st century understand what our responsibilities are too. Are you faithful? Are you nurturing? Are you concerned? Is Grace Baptist Church faithful, nurturing, and concerned? I hope it is. One of the things I pray on a regular basis, and and I I just pray this, and, and, and I hope it's true, is that when we have visitors come in that they feel these three things. And it's only going to be this way if we as a church live these three things. Because we happen to live in a world that is full of hurting people that need these three things in their lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you.